So, God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God dwelled with the people he had created. Adam and Eve were living in the paradise that God had created and it was very good. More importantly, Adam and Eve were following God's plan. They did the work God had given them to do and they had been able to stay away from, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For now, all Adam and Eve know is God and his goodness. It would appear that, that there's no such thing as stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. They don't have to deal with hate, anger, rage, slander, malice, greed, murder, and many more. In the world God created, the paradise that existed when Adam and Eve followed God's path, well, it was all good. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they enjoyed God's presence in the midst of God's garden. It was perfect. Absolutely nothing was missing, at least for a while. We don't know how long they managed to stay away from it, but, but they did. They stayed away from it until another character enters the story, the serpent. Nearly every good story has a villain. Oftentimes the villains are visible, evil characters who have a clear intent to destroy the protagonist or the world. Other times the villain is invisible, but, but just as threatening. It's a problem that the protagonist has to deal with, and if it's not dealt with, the consequences are deadly. God's story is no different. There's a villain who, at his very core, wants to destroy all the good that God has done. His official name is the devil. Many people call him Satan. At the beginning of the story, he's the serpent. But this raises a question. If God created everything and everything God created was good, does that mean God created the devil? That's a good question. And the devil, just like the villain in, in many stories, also has an origin story. The devil wasn't always evil. When he was originally created, he was a part of God's kingdom, enjoying the goodness of God and participating with God in his plan. But that all changed. We learn in Isaiah that the devil, or Lucifer as the King James Version calls him, that at one point this devil laid low the nations. Apparently, his success went to his head and as he decided that it wasn't enough to be a part of God's story, well, he wanted his own story. The devil said in his heart, I, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The devil wanted God's throne for himself. So, this being that had once been a part of God's great plan was cast out of heaven. His casting down is actually mentioned in Ezekiel and Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 says, Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. 
he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What was it that the devil did wrong? What is his great sin? Well, he was proud. He said, I will ascend. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I, I will make myself like the Most High. That's the devil's sin. Pride. The devil wanted to be God. Even though he had been created by God, he wanted to be God. Pride was, well, pride was his downfall. Pride was the thing that caused the war in heaven. The devil's pride was the evil that cost him paradise. Well, when he was cast out of heaven, he brought that evil of pride with him to earth. But, but he was not content just to live in rebellion against God. He wanted more. Pride always does. He wanted to get back at God for kicking him out of heaven. Sure, you know, he could set up his own kingdom on earth if he wanted, but, but what would that prove? No, no. He would go after God where it would hurt the most. He would go after the being God made in God's own image and likeness. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Have you ever heard a serpent talk? I haven't. So how did this serpent happen to be able to talk? Well, I think that animals talked in the beginning in God's paradise, and I'm actually not alone. Ancient Jewish tradition also taught this idea. But the talking serpent isn't really the point. The point is, up until now, no one had questioned God's goodness or plan. Adam and Eve just, just enjoyed God's goodness. But here comes the serpent and asks a question to Eve about God. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Well, the woman responded, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Eve answered the serpent's question, which supports my theory that, that the animals in the garden talked because she doesn't seem to be surprised by the talking serpent, but I digress. See, she engaged the serpent, but she didn't really know what she was doing. John 8 tells us that the devil was not only a murderer from the beginning, but that he is a liar and the father of lies. He doesn't abide by the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's speaking his own native language. She wasn't just responding to a talking snake. She was actually engaging with something much more dangerous. She was engaging with the father of all lies, the master liar himself, the, the villain whose superpower is the ability to masquerade as an angel of light. In the Genesis account, this is the only other character that speaks at this point in the story. Yes, I know that doesn't help my argument for talking animals. God spoke and created everything. Adam spoke and named everything. The devil speaks, but his purpose in speaking isn't good. It's destruction. 
The serpent responds to the woman with her answer that she gave about the tree. He says, you will not certainly die, for God knows that, that when you eat from it, your, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's so subtle that I actually missed it for years. It was subtle enough that the woman seems to have missed it too. Two things are happening in the serpent's response. First, the serpent is creating mistrust for God. He doesn't just come out and say it, but he's a master liar, so he doesn't always have to blatantly lie. In fact, he rarely does. Instead, the devil hides his lies in partial truths. For God knows that, that you will be like God. In other words, the serpent might say, God doesn't want anyone else to be like him. I mean, he's a petty God who can't handle any other competition. Trust me, I know. He, he doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because he doesn't want to have to compete with other gods. He's keeping something from you and he knows it. God was keeping something from them, but, but not what the devil was thinking. God was keeping them from evil. God was keeping evil from Adam and Eve. There's another thing the devil does here, and it's the thing that, that I actually missed for years. He takes a truth, hides it, and then uses the hidden truth against the woman. You will be like God. He tells the woman, you will be like God, for God knows that you will be like him. He tempted the woman with something that was already true. She was already like God. Remember that from last week? Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created him. They were already like God. As happens so often, the truth was hidden right in plain sight for the woman to see. But she missed it because the devil hid it inside of a temptation. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and, and pleasing to the eye and, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Genesis 3, 6. The devil often hides truth inside temptation. Sure, the truth is that cookie isn't good for me, but, but I really want it. God didn't hide the truth from Adam and Eve. He told them explicitly that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil, on the other hand, only played up what the woman might like about the fruit and completely ignored the evil. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we learn that these are the three primary areas that the devil tempts us. It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world is the devil's playground. The world is the system that is ruled by the devil that is opposed to God. And the world is built on these three areas of temptation. The lust of the flesh can be seen when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. The lust of the eyes can be seen when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was pleasing to the eye. And the pride of life can be seen where the fruit is, is desirable for gaining wisdom, wanting the one thing that God said wasn't for her. So they take the fruit and they eat it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. 
so they sewed fig leaves together and, and made coverings for themselves. The devil, that serpent, succeeded. The devil got Adam and Eve, the only creatures walking the face of the earth made in the image of God, to disobey the one command God had given them. The results of this rebellion are disastrous. Not only do we see the results of this rebellion playing out before our eyes to this day, the chaos created by the rebellion has been steadily escalating throughout history. The further away we get from God's original plan, the more chaotic everything becomes. Immediately after the rebellion, we see things like blame shifting, lying, and hiding. When God walks in the garden, Adam and Eve hid from God. When Adam knows that God actually knows what's happened, he blames the woman, who in turn blames the serpent. Because of this rebellion, God curses the serpent, the woman, and the man. The serpent gets cursed to the ground, and the woman will have to deal with severe pain in childbirth and being ruled over by her husband. The man's rebellion seems to have the greatest consequences. It says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Before this, work was a good thing. It was the purpose God gave man in the garden that he had created. But now, well, work's going to be difficult. Adam's curse, though, doesn't just affect him, it actually affects all of creation. All this goodness God had just created is now cursed with thorns and thistles. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 21 says, The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Where Adam and Eve had been free to enjoy God's paradise, now they were kicked out of it and God's paradise was put in bondage. And that's not the worst of it. See, these beings into whom God had breathed the breath of life would now experience death. They were taken from dust and they would return to dust. They could have experienced God's life, which was the other choice they had in the garden. They could have eaten from God's tree of life, but they chose not to. Because of the virus of disobedience, because of the virus of pride, because of the virus of rebellion, God's precious creation would now experience the torture of death. The virus would run rampant across the earth. But even though creation was now cursed because Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation to rebel against God, there's still some hope. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, there's the promise of struggle, but there's also the promise of victory. A child of Eve will crush the serpent's head. Well, as a result of this virus of pride, disobedience and rebellion, chaos, absolute chaos ensued. The ability to choose what was right and wrong for ourselves became a virus that was passed on to Adam and Eve's firstborn son. Cain and his brother Abel give an offering to God one day, but, but God actually likes Abel's offering better than Cain's, so Cain gets mad. God asks Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? Well, it's not perfectly clear, but it seems that God had a standard in mind for offerings and Cain's didn't live up to that standard. But what's amazing is, is that God doesn't condemn Cain for the inadequacy of his offering. He just says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? See, even amid the curse, God would offer his children the opportunity to follow his path. Never once does God abandon the path that he had in mind for his creation. What would we choose? Well, Cain, instead of correcting his offering, decided to murder his brother who embarrassed him. And this would become a pattern that mankind would repeat. Because of the virus, mankind would go on a downward spiral, taking away the breath of life that God had given them. In just a few short paragraphs, the paradise God created becomes so cursed, so depraved, and, and so perverse that we see something from God that's hard for us to understand. Genesis 6 verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In a period of about 1,200 years, the desires of the hearts of man had changed to be only evil all the time. All they used to know was God and His goodness. But now it seems that all they know is evil. They were so evil that God regretted making them in the first place. But does this mean that God made a mistake? Of course not. We did. We're the ones who made the mistake. We're the ones who chose evil. Evil is in the world because we invited it in through our rebellion against God and His plan. God intended for us to walk His path, but we chose to walk our own. And every time we sin, we're choosing our path over God's. Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Can you believe it? God is going to destroy his beautiful creation. This thing that he said was good and the people he said were very good. Well, he's going to destroy it all. And that's exactly what he did. The evidence of that flood can actually be seen all around the earth. Fossil records around the globe give credence to this story told in the earliest pages of the Bible. Because Noah walked faithfully with God, God chose Noah to build an ark to save himself, his family, and enough living things to start over. Noah did everything 
just as God commanded him. After the flood waters receded, Noah built an altar and sacrificed some of the animals that he actually took on the ark as an offering to God. And God smells the aroma of this offering and says, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Genesis 9, 9 through 11. It had never rained before God made it rain when he flooded the earth. And can you imagine how Noah and his family would feel every time it rained after that? But God promised them that he would never flood the entire earth again, and he actually gave them a sign to remember the promise that he made to them. The rainbow. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. God made a promise. And he made a promise that he's kept to this day. And even the sign of this promise is still displayed around the world to remind us of the fact that God never makes a promise he doesn't keep. He has always been faithful to his plan. When he makes a promise, it fits within that plan and we can be absolutely certain he will keep his promise. Why? Because God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. The devil is a liar and the father of lies, but God is the father of truth. The devil's native language is deception. God's native language is truth. If God has kept this promise, then we can also trust that the promise of eternal life that he made before the beginning began is a promise he will also keep. We read that last week in Titus 1 verse 2. How will he keep that promise? Well, we'll have to wait until next week to find out.